Colossians 4, we're going to start in verse 7. And I'm just going to read uh, through verse 12, and then we'll kind of pick up verse 13 through 18 uh, a little further in. Tychicus, uh, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is with you, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here, here being Rome. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, you could say Yeshua, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God uh, who are of the circumcision. Uh, they have proved to be a comfort to me. Uh, the circumcision there, meaning they, they are Jewish versus uh, Roman Gentiles. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we do want to be complete here tonight in the will of God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this midweek oasis to come and just to worship as we've already uh, done and, and Lord, just to open your word and to fellowship uh, and Lord, just to be in your presence and to hear from you. Lord, we pray that you would feed us by your spirit that which we need. Lord, perhaps we've read these verses many times, but we pray that you would reveal them to us in a new light and certainly remind us of things that we need to be reminded of that we would grow more and more like you. Thank you for this time and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now you saw that Paul's giving some instructions here. He's uh, telling, hey, I'm going to send some folks uh, your way and, and they're going to be telling you how things are going here and, and conversely they're going to find out what's going on there. They, uh, they don't have FaceTime and they don't have email and they don't have Facebook and they don't have all these ways to keep communicating. So this is going to be a trip that's going to have to go from Rome over to uh, what would be modern day Turkey today and uh, get these mutual reports, but these are also Paul's closing words and exhortations to the Colossians, this letter he's written to them um, to reinforce their faith, but also correct a few things that was almost always the case in the epistles. And he mentions 11 names in, uh, in verses 7 through 18, we didn't read all the way, but he mentions 11 names in verses 7 through 18, 12 if you include uh, Paul's own salutation, his own name, in verse 18, that are, uh, these are all faithful servants and the work of the gospel, people that are faithfully serving. Now if you recall from the beginning of the study, Paul is composing this letter from a Roman prison cell, uh, but on his mind are believers in three cities of Phrygia, and uh, I think I've got a Slide where you can see this. There you go. So he's got these believers on his mind in these cities, and they're they're tightly close together. You can see right there. And he's thinking about them and the continued work of Christ that's been planted 
in these congregations. So in each of these cities, congregations have been planted. Paul is writing back to them. It's Colossae is the, is the primary place he's writing, but this was to be read in these other cities as well, and they're not far apart. Each of them are very close to each other. Um, the names mentioned here include Gentiles and Jews of the circumcision, as, as he mentioned. Uh, some are pastors and leaders, ministry assistants, kind of people coming alongside pastors, uh, reliable servants ministering to the body of Christ. Most of these individuals, uh, Paul knows them personally. He's labored with them. And he knows that it's the sovereignty of God that over the course of weeks and months and even years, the Lord has connected this diverse group of saints from across the Roman Empire. That God has fitted them together some longer in the faith, just like in this room, some, some of you longer in the faith, some more newly saved, coming from different regions, different backgrounds, different cultures. And now, Paul, Paul's writing this, you see this list, 11 names, 12 including his own. Now they're unified with a common love and a common mission. A singular love and a singular mission. Now years earlier, think about this, years earlier, Paul knew none of these names. He didn't know any of these people. He didn't grow up with them. They weren't from where he was from. He didn't know any of these people years earlier. He would have hated some of them, wouldn't he? Matter of fact, he was on his way to kill Christians, so we know that he would not have loved the majority, well, any of this list. But now they're his family. Now they're his family. Does it ever strike you when you're sitting here on a Sunday, maybe tonight on a Wednesday, or any Sunday or Wednesday, your Bible's open, perhaps you're in worship, maybe a time of prayer. Does it ever strike you this thought, how did I get here? Not how you drove here. And you look around, how did everyone else get in this room? How did they get, how did they arrive here? Or maybe you're out to dinner with a group of believers. Maybe you're serving over in children's ministry, wondering when the service will end. Singing on the worship team. Maybe you're at Hilliard House, serving one, maybe a Bonaire Sunday night, something like that. Perhaps you're all the way in another country on a mission trip. Or it's just a time of fellowship, just you're over with a group of believers at someone's house, and the same thoughts, thought arises, how did I end up here? Because it sure wasn't some of our plans years ago, was it? I have those thoughts every now and then. Even though I know the answer, that thought will come to me sometimes, like, how in the world did I get here? Why am I standing up here? <laughs> Christ saved me and bought me with his blood. Now I can speak for me. He sent me here to Richmond, to Chesterfield County, to CCR. Not three miles down the road, here. Not 10 miles down the road, not Henrico, not somewhere else, here. 
And listen, there's some other great fellowships. I'm friends with some of them around town. I was with some of them this morning. Some other great fellowships. But he placed me here. I don't know why. Before time and space, that this is where I want you. And he did the same thing with other believers. That he's guided and assembled them into fellowships. 16 years ago. Not counting my own family. I'm not going to count my family. But 16 years ago, uh, we first got here to Richmond after moving up here from Charlotte and before that in South Florida. I would have known a total of two people. I was thinking about this as I was kind of studying this. I would have known two people that now sit here on a Sunday morning out of however many show up and, uh, at a typical Sunday morning service. And, and it's, it's not just those that God has saved and and led, and woven into this body of believers here, but the connected relationships we have in other places like Guatemala with the Stones. Jeff grew up in Vegas. I grew up in Annapolis slash Miami. You know, uh, uh, this, it, India with the Cawthorns. They, they really wonder how they ended up there. Have, you know, I've, I've talked to them many times. We don't know how, you know, but God just took us there. Uh, the James, they came from Portland, Oregon. They're in Uganda. Pastor Tito down in Newport News, he, he loves this place. And we, we'll have him here on Friday Night Mar- You know, he's, he's kind of really connected to us. Jeff Stone's like, can we be half part of your church and half part of Guatemala? You know, uh, Sam Nadler uh, loves, loves this fellowship, but very connected with us. Um, Pastor Troy, who will be co-hosting our trip to Israel and, and Lynchburg and um, Pastors Tom and Pastor Mark and uh, Williamsburg and Fredericksburg and Pastor Thomas down in Virginia Beach and uh, and these are just a few other local pastors that we have uh, connections with. I'll be sharing at a local Baptist church in January or February that's asked me to share there and I might have him share here. And so we have these connections that God does but you know you look at um, even when there's difficult times, like Pastor Randy, it, it was connection of other, other ministries, other churches, working together. But God is the one that fits these relationships together, right? We don't come up with this. This Sunday, I'll be introducing and reintroducing our CCR leadership. Uh, of the, and I was looking at this as well. Of the nine men that will be serving, some of them are already serving in our, in our leadership now, including myself, there'd be nine. Just two graduated from high school in Richmond. Just two graduated from high school here, here in this city. If Pastor Randy would hear, was still here, it'd be two out of ten graduated from a high school here in Richmond. Only four of the nine grew up in Virginia. Jobs brought half of us here or back to here, if you will. And these observations, they would be similar across our church body. If I start to ask, hey, where are you really from? Most, I'm from here. I don't know. How'd you end up here? I still don't know. I, I'm, you know I'm here. You know, uh, it's all a blur or whatever it is. You know, They'd be similar. It'd be similar with our ministry leaders. You go to different ministry leaders and say, you know, how'd you end up here? Uh, well, I was listening to the radio or this person or that little connection and New believers, same thing. Those that will get baptized later this month, we're excited about another baptism service at the end of the month. But we can now see what Paul saw. 
So they're not just names to him. They're connections that he's seen. I remember when I first met that person. I remember when I first connected with that ministry. I remember when I first visited it. I remember when I first went to dinner at their house kind of thing. And God saves us, and then he connects us in his son Jesus, doesn't he? In Jesus, where every other saved person is in him. With specific people, specific people. You can't live everywhere at once. So specific people with a specific purpose, but under a common Mission. We have the same mission worldwide. I don't care if you live in North Korea or Uganda or Guam. We have the same mission, but God puts us with specific people. These are specific names. He doesn't just say, and to any name out there. He's writing to these believers. If you're taking notes this evening, uh, Connected in Christ is what I've titled this last uh, message in study in uh, Colossians 4 here. Uh, we titled these, this series in Colossians back when we started, you might recall, when we started the series, uh, we titled it Christ at the Center. Christ at the Center. It's not all that creative a title. It's something that should never change in the church. Amen? We don't need creative slick titles. We need what is true, and Christ must remain the center of our faith, of this church, and, and the church globally. But the entire epistle to the Colossians places Christ at the center of our faith, at the center of our walk, at the center of our church. Christ has to be at the center. And when Christ is at the center... The central focus of all, you know, if you ever put something in the center and everyone's in a circle, we're all looking from different angles, but we're looking at the same center. And so Christ must be centered and us be around him. He's the central focus. And he, by his grace and by his spirit, he connects us with one another. He connects us with one another. It's not about, well, we need to do a personality profile to see if we're going to get along. Right? What's your Myers-Briggs say? You know, I don't need to know that, you know, that, that. I need to understand if you and I are compatible. The Holy Spirit is the one that connects us, but Christ has to be at the center. He connects us, number one, for His glory. Because He shows that incompatible people can become compatible. Former hating people of one, you know, doesn't matter. Well, I'm Palestinian. I'm Jewish. They never get along. Yes, in Jesus, they can. I'm Northern Irish. Uh, I'm regular Irish. We can never get along, right? You know, and how that works. <laughs> yes, they can. But it's for His glory. It's for His will, and it's for our growth because we're going to have to die to ourselves to actually be connected to people. It's going to have to be some shaving off. That happens in a marriage, too. Marriage can't become one with, with, with both people. My way or the highway, right? We're connected in genuine love that he's supernaturally birthed in us. I mean, salvation is a birth experience that Jesus said in John chapter 3. He birthed in us new life, but he also births in us a love 
And then this connected passion that comes from the Lord to reach out and to build up. You, you won't naturally have that. You, you, you won't naturally have the discipleship mindset of reaching out and building up unless the Holy Spirit has come in. You can't manufacture that. Trust me, before salvation, I didn't really care about a lot of relationships um, and investing in my own family, much less everybody else's family that God's put into one family. You know, I would, uh, my mom's here. She can attest to this. I mean, you know, I, if I was living far, far away, I didn't really have any, like, need to come back for family functions or anything like that. You, you, you probably have family like this that could say, I'll see you in 30 years, right? And if it's a, it better be an important wedding or important funeral because they still won't come, right? I mean, it has to be like apex, like somebody uh, that the whole family, are they not coming because they just don't really care about you? Or they don't really care about that many people other than themselves, right? And so Christ, he does that work where you all of a sudden have this kind of connection or this desire to be connected, and you're like wondering where it's even coming from because it's supernatural. It's not, it's not in us. But, God, but after God changes hearts, he has to change our heart first. After he changes hearts, then he knits hearts. He has to first change the heart before you can knit a heart. You know, you try and knit an unchanged heart to a changed heart, it's not going to work. That's why the Bible says you can't be unequally yoked, right? Believe it or not, it's a, that, that marriage will never work. Well, he respects my faith, but just doesn't want any part of it. Let's talk in a few, not years, let's do weeks, months. But God changes heart, then he knits them together. Quick review, look over real quickly at uh, chapter 2. Paul actually makes this point earlier in the epistle. Look at verse uh, 2. Uh, Paul uses this exact language. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches and full assurance of understanding the knowledge, the mystery of God, both the Father and Christ. Of course, Father, at the family there, we have one Father. But, but this knit together that we have assurance, that we would have understanding, that we'd have the riches of basically His grace and His mercy in our life. Drop down to verse 19, same chapter, verse, uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 19. Um, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole, the whole, all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. God knits the body, but then He breathes life into the body, connective tissue into the body, blood flowing from the different cell groups in the body, it has to be a supernatural work of God, but he has to change the hearts before the hearts can be knit. So to, back to my original thought, when I'm wondering, how did I get here? God got me here. God got you here. You didn't decide where to be born, and you didn't decide ultimately to come to Richmond, Virginia. You, really, you might have thought, why? I really did. We, we, we decided. We said, well, that's where we're going. But if God puts you with other people, really, God was behind the scenes more than behind the scenes. He is the scene, you know, moving the whole thing along. Let's take a look at just two things tonight as we look at these final verses 7 through 18. Uh, the first I've titled Connected and Co-Labor. 
And he says here in verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know of your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will make known to you all the things which are happening here, all the things happening there in Rome. He'll find out what's going on there in Phrygia and Colossae and Heropolis, these different cities that are there. And now it's one thing to be connected by a paycheck. You have people that you work with that you all are connected by a paycheck. It's one thing to be connected by a mutual interest or a hobby. One thing to be connected by a, a sense of responsibility. Those are, those are important things, responsibility. But when the connection is love, it's a far stronger bond when it's actually love. It's not just a paycheck. It's not just some common interest. It's not just a sense of responsibility, but, but love. And the Lord takes these formerly disconnected people and relationships, and he makes them brothers and sisters in the Lord, just as like he's done here with us. And if we look back, we've got to, you know... Um, I'll be 50 in February. So if I went back 40 years and looked at where we all were 40 years ago, God was already coursing connections, laying the groundwork. He knows the end from the beginning. And, and 40 years from now, he's already working on future fellowships and future families and future work right now. Some of your kids will be part of that that he already has in mind. They might not be here. They might be living in some other state or some other country, but he already has that in mind. But the Lord takes these formerly disconnected people and relationships, and he makes them brothers and sisters in the Lord. Paul uses the word. Tychicus, a beloved brother. Brother. United as family. And with salvation, there comes an implanted care the Holy Spirit puts in there, because you wouldn't have it, I wouldn't have it, an implanted care for one another. He gives us a care for one another. One of the reasons you're here tonight, whether you know it or not, I believe in the work of the Spirit. One, it might be to learn, but one is God has given you a care for brothers and sisters. You might not even be aware that you have. Now, it needs to be cultivated, but the Holy Spirit puts it there. In fact, one of the evidences of our salvation, did you know that one of the evidences in the Scriptures of being saved is that we have a genuine love for our brothers and sisters. The Bible makes it clear. It's one of the evidences. It's not, uh, if you want to know you're saved, do you remember saying a sinner's prayer? That's not, I mean, that, that praying to come into Christ is a part. You must confess with the mouth, believe in your heart. You must be saved. It is important to talk to God to come into faith. But the proof points are actually lived out and evident to all. And this loving our brothers and sisters is a clear sign. Um, as I mentioned on Sunday, when we were praying for the inter uh, International Persecuted Church. Uh, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 25 that a love for our brothers and sisters should be evident. There should be enough evidence to convict us of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That people say, well, one thing's for sure, I know you love the body of Christ. That should be evident. John speaks of it in the book of 1 John. He says, you know, how can you say you love God, but you don't have a love for your brother whom you've seen? 
It's made plain throughout the New Testament, as I mentioned. It has to be cultivated. The way it's cultivated is first just obey and do it, and then God grows it. Because you say, well, my Heavenly Father says this is what has to be done. And when it's done, God starts to continue to take that implanted love and grows it. He puts the seed in there. From creation, God created us to be more effective together. Adam, God says, not good for him to be what? Alone. He needs a helpmate. Right out of the gate. And then they would have kids, and that was all to be uh, part of a mini congregation, if you will, right out, right out of the gate. In the beginning, that they weren't meant to do life alone. More effective together. And when love is the common bond, instead of self-interest, instead of what's in it for me, love is the common bond, will be exponentially more beneficial to one another when it's not about us. The strange thing is when it's less about us, we get more for us than when we make it about us. It's counterintuitive, but that's the way God does it. We'll discuss some of these things in the upcoming marriage night, and I hope all of you that are married will come, and even those of you that you know, are single endeavor to be married you know, certainly come out as well. But, but Paul, in referencing his sending of Tychicus and Onesimus, uh, displays this brotherly love that has not only impacted him, but it's impacted them as well. It's mutually beneficial. They have benefited from Paul's relationship. He has benefited from their relationship. And both sides seem to be aware of it. And even from the vast distance, both congregations, whether Rome or over in Asia Minor, are aware of it. But understand that the love and appreciation for one another, it has a depth and, listen to this word, dependability. This love has a depth and dependability that's found in a greater love for Christ. In other words, as we grow in love for Christ, our love is deeper for Him and for other people, and we become more dependable by tapping into the love of Christ. He says, Tizik is a beloved brother, faithful minister. Puts all that in the same line. Beloved and faithful. The more we love Christ, the more peace we have, the less of self we have, the more pure our motives become. Don't you think the more you walk with Jesus, your motives become more pure? I'm not saying they're perfect. You won't get that to heaven. But they become more pure over time. You, 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 you even will self-assess. Hold on. Is my motive right here? When you are new in the Lord, you just kind of fly forward. You don't really think through the, the Lord will have you even assess. What is my real reason here? We lean on him. And as, here's the strange thing. The more we lean on Jesus, the more dependable we become. The more we lean on Jesus, the more dependable for everyone else we'll become. You cannot become dependable unless you depend on Christ. You have to depend on him to become dependable. Paul was dependable. Tychicus was dependable. Onesimus, Epaphras, they were dependable men because they depended on Christ. And they could be dependent on each other. Don't you love having people in your life that are dependable? Don't you want to hire someone who's not dependable? 
give me the least dependable candidate. How can we ruin the company in a week, right? You know that. No, we want someone who's dependable. We also want someone who's sacrificial. Because they'll actually, when the chips are down, they'll put in what needs to be done because they have a sacrificial heart. They say, no, no, this is the right thing to do. You want someone who's humble. They don't need glory. They don't need you know, lights. They don't need a pat on the back. They just will do it for the right reason. They're humble. Take two people. Take three people. Take four people. Any group size you want. The more they grow in love with Jesus, whether it's a group of two, four, six, eight, 50, 175, take any group size you want, the more they each, each, each grow in love with Jesus, the more connected and effective that group will become. Their individual growth with Jesus will make the whole group more effective. This works in your house. This works in this church. Works in a ladies' ministry. Works in a men's ministry. Works in any age group. There's no... Absolutely works in every scenario. God says, try it out. Each person grows. The whole group becomes more effective. Now, we know that connected components expand capability and reach. I'll give you an example. You you may or may not know I like technology. I came from a technology background. Uh, I have a laptop. I have a new laptop that I love. It's thin. I love it. After six years of destroying my other one, I mean, I put so much data on that thing. But I have a new laptop that it, it has to be connected to power, and it is. Not right now, but it was earlier. It's got, once it disconnects, it's got like nine hours of battery life, but it has to be connected to power. Then it connects to Wi-Fi. Hope I don't lose some of you here. But then it connects to, to Wi-Fi. And, uh, but that has to be connected to an Internet service. The Wi-Fi is only good if it's connected to an internet service. It has to have an internet backbone, if you will, Verizon. And that allows me then to connect to productivity applications, social media, live streaming, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. I use them all, and as I mentioned on Sunday, the reason I use them all is they allow me to cast a wider net. And Paul said I'll use all things be all things, all people that I might, by some means, win some. Using the things of this world, those not misusing them, Paul said. So, you know, I, I, I think you have to be wise. I think you have to be strategic. I think you have to have Lord. But I say, Lord, I'll use these components, but each of them, these connections are interdependent. Together, they provide reach and impact. The power goes out, they're all out. Do you know that? When dominion's down, they're all down. That's like, that's the, the hub. And Paul underscores that the strength of relationship, the strength of the labor together is in the power source. And that connects and powers everything else. And we see in verse 7, the power source, it says, servant in the Lord. In the Lord. Jesus is the power source, Right? He's the one that connects, again, he's the centrality. It all goes back to him. If that's out of the equation, then everything else falls apart. He's the connection point. He's the power point. All of these things are dependent on the Lord. The loving relationships, the growth, everything is implanted by 
Christ at the center. Then everything else, then he will build off of that. Ministries are built off of that. Certain uh, you know, relationships will be built off of that. Uh, branching out will be built off of that. But it all starts with Christ. Now the salutation here, the whole salutation all the way through verse 18, which we haven't read, verse 13 through 18 yet, but the entire salutation underscores, or I'm sorry, the entire, uh, entire salutation it reflects Paul's, number one, his observations, his observations, what he has seen, how God in his time of being around these men, how he's seen God work in these fellow believers. So it reflects his observations, but it also reflects his appreciation. His and the others with him for how God has used them collectively. Iron sharpening iron. He has an appreciation for how God has used them in each other's lives. And so do the others, because he's speaking on behalf of a few others here. And he has gratitude now about it. Are you, are you thankful for people God's put in your life? I mean, really. You'll see sometimes where, where the, the writers of the epistles will say, I thank God of my every remembrance of you, right? Are you really thankful for people that God's put in your life? The appreciation there. But he's not just thinking he's thankful. He's being intentional and writing to them their names. He's not just thinking, yeah, I'm really thankful for that person. Eh, back to whatever I'm doing. He's letting them know, I thank God for you. I'm glad you were used this way. We labored together. You were my fellow servant, fellow worker, all of these things. You know, I love this George Mueller, no matter how busy he was, and of course he had incredible faith, he wrote thousands of thank you notes to people, constantly thanking people for even little things, and yet you can bet those people didn't write near as many back to him. But it didn't matter. God was blessing him in the process anyway. Be intentional. Don't just think about thanking people. Thank people. He writes it out. And look at some of the terms. You know, I, you don't have to, I don't have time to point it out in each verse, but I'll, I just enumerated some of the things that he says, phrases that he used to, uh, to kind of describe what the people that he served with or how he viewed them. And listen, to, they're in your text. I'm in the New King James, depending on the version you have, that might read a little differently. But he says these words, beloved brother, faithful and beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant, one of you, fellow prisoner. Most of you don't want that one, do you? It's close comrades right there, but most of you probably don't want that fellow prisoner. Fellow workers of the kingdom of God. Bond servants. These are the different phrases that he uses in saying these are the ways that we interacted. These are the ways that we worked together. This is what I saw God doing in you and we did together. Know this, brother and sister, know this. If you put Christ first, as we see in verse, um, right in verse 7, fellow servant of the Lord. If you put Christ first, he's going to call you into service. And he already has. <laughs> We've all been drafted. Right? It's not negotiable. He's going to call you into service. He already has. Uh, there will be some suffering. 
Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. There's going to be some suffering. I don't care who you, there's no avoiding it. There's going to be some suffering. We see that in verse 8. Uh, he says that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Why would they need comfort? Because they were going through some stuff over there in Colossae. Suffering. There's going to be some suffering. We see it also in verse 10 where, where he says, um, uh, Ar uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. That's not a walk in the park, is it? It's going to be some suffering. Uh, there's going to be some labor. I already mentioned the word servant, verse 7. That's what servants do. They, they work, they serve, they labor. There's going to be some rejection, he says in verse 11, uh, in Jesus, who is called Justice, or Yeshua, uh, or Justice, Justice being the Gentile name. Uh, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. So these are Jewish believers in Rome that have come to faith. The majority of the church there was Gentile, but there were a few Jewish believers as well. And Paul is saying, I was rejected by most of the Jewish people. That doesn't feel good, does it? No one really likes rejection. Doesn't feel great. He, 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 Paul, there's still a little bit of a sting there. He wouldn't mention it. So these were the only, and there was very few of them that were willing to comfort me. But you know, in all that, the suffering, the rejection, the serving, the laboring, you know what you also get? You get some like-minded disciples. God says, I'm not going to leave you empty-handed. You're going to get some like-minded disciples. Because he has a list of them here, doesn't he? All these names, I don't have time to go through it all tonight, but you can go through, back through the names. Each of these names, Paul's saying, these are like-minded brothers that God's put me with. So uh, he's like, even though there's been some tough times, we've toughed it out together. And so we want to kind of close with this one. Connected and continuing. Let's pick it up in verse 12 again. We'll read verse 12 and read 12 all the way through verse 18. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. Remember, Epaphras had originally come from Colossae all the way to Rome. He took the long trip to Rome to say, Paul, there's some great stuff happening, but there's some weird stuff happening too. Some people are buying into things that are not true. Paul's writing a letter to say you've got to return to the centrality of Christ. Not that everybody had kind of gone off the rails, but some had. Epaphras was a pastor. He's like, Paul, you're an apostle. I need help here. Help me out. So Paul's writing this letter, and he's going to send this back. But again, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ. Paul's reaffirming his ministry and said, this man's been faithful. Greets you. Remember, he is a pastor of, of this congregation. Always laboring fervent for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That's what Paul is saying about him, saying, look, he's constantly in prayer for you guys. I've seen it. I, Paul said, I've seen it with my own eyes right here in Rome. I've seen how often he's praying for you guys. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. You know, Paul's... Paul's um, one of only 12 apostles, and if Paul is vouching for you, you've got a pretty good witness here. Got a, he's got a great zeal for you, for those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the, the beloved physician, Paul loved Luke. And Luke was, 
you know, used, uh, obviously he wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And Demas, greet you. Greet the brethren who, in Laodice, who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Nymphos is one of the believers over in that part uh, of Asia Minor as well. And, and apparently uh, part of the church operations. Uh, we're also meeting in his home. Verse 16. Uh, now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So again, we, we see different cities mentioned here that it must be read in. Colossae, of course, is the letter is to Colossians, Laodicea, Hierapolis, the home of Nymphus. So these are different geographic places where Paul says this letter needs to be read in all of them. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill. This is to probably encourage another leader, another pastor, make sure you fulfill the ministry. Paul would speak the same way to Timothy. This salutation by my own hand. So Paul probably didn't, he didn't write the whole letter. He would actually have it written out. But a lot of times he would be the signer of, you know, he would have some help, write it out, then he would sign it. He would dictate it because his eyesight wasn't good, uh, good anyway. He would uh, then sign by his own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. Amen. So what do I mean by this? Connected and continuing. Again, we're, we're connected and birthed by the love of Christ. We're connected to be together, laboring together, growing together, dying to ourselves together. But think about it. Anyone can start something, but it takes commitment and perseverance to finish something. Anyone can start things. We have a finishing God, don't we? Creation, the cross, the tomb. We have a finishing God. Paul would later say, I've run my race. I've finished my course. And Paul is saying, look, you know, Paul's like, all of you are going to have to finish whatever course you're on too. We have to A, finish it together in some respects because we need each other. That's the whole point of him, right? We've got to, we need each other's help to finish it, but at the same time, we have to finish it. And Paul's closing words, just they're not only a final greeting, which they are. He's greeting, he's saying, hey, we, we miss you guys, we want to see you, vice versa. It's not just an update, but it's partially an update, part of the letter earlier as well. It's an appreciation, gratitude for the fellow servants. But this is also an exhortation to finish, an exhortation to keep going, to complete the mission. Later tonight, I'll be watching my favorite show, SEAL Team, that I record, on, and, and I haven't cared about a TV show in like 30 years. But I love it because they complete stuff. They get things done, right? And they don't care if they lose a limb. Well, they care, but, you know. Uh, but the commitment's there. But they also need each other. Not just It's a team called Teams. Because every single, every single component matters. And Paul is saying, you've got you to complete the mission. Do it together. Help and spur one another to stay the course. But not just do that. Be a blessing in the process. Not just say, hey, you can do this. But be a blessing while you're spurring others to keep going forward. 
Sadly, one's not going to make it. Did you see Demas' name? And we later find out Demas, Paul said, has left me having loved this present world. Not everybody continues in the race. Some will prove to be false. Paul doesn't, Paul never says something affirming about, he, he seems to always have his doubts about Demas. He never affirms him in a way that says, and Demas is one of the beloved, he just kind of, and Demas, doing good work. I'm a little concerned about your motives. That's my reading into it, right? Because he never says, but anyway, sadly one won't make it. But uh, it's one thing when we abide in Jesus and we grow in his grace. But if we're then used by God, not just to abide in Christ and to grow personally, but if we're used by God to cause others to grow, well, that's a, that's a whole other blessing, isn't it? We're not just you are growing, but God is using you to impact others. Think about a really good teacher. A really good teacher is not hoping that they walk out of the room and all the knowledge walks out with them. They're hoping that they've passed it on to the 20 students. They're not hoping, well, well I hope one of these kids never, never sinks in. They don't learn anything here. They want all of them to learn it so well they could even teach it and tutor other students if they could. I know any good teacher wants that. They say, I want them to be good enough that they could help their brother and sister learn it. Doesn't always work that way, but it could work that way if everybody applied themselves that way. And we're all in the school of evangelism, of discipleship. We need study partners. We need exercise partners of our brothers and sisters, don't we? We all need that. The lifetime learning doesn't stop for any of us here. I don't care how, you know, how long we've been doing this. The school of lifelong learning is still in session, and we're still to be encouraging and still to be exhorting, as Paul is doing here, saying you guys got to finish the race. You've got to keep going. And I have no doubt, and I've personally experienced it, and many of you I'm sure have as well, that when Christ is put at the center, which is this epistle theme, when we put Christ at the center, He will, He will, He absolutely will, He will bring friends and spiritual family that will run and walk beside us. Well, so I don't have any of them. You get closer to Jesus, He will bring them your way. God will not, He will not leave you on an island unless you're like John and then He sends him to heaven and all kinds of cool stuff happens. So, you know, uh, but... Don't forget, Paul's in prison here, and he's encouraging other people. He's building them up as Christ is building him up. And he does have some relationships that are coming. He's talking about, hey, um, Aristarchus is my fellow prisoner. I've got a co-laborer here. If we'd stop whining and start praising and start praying and start pouring out for the Lord, he will connect us with others that will be a blessing in our life. He will connect us with other people that will be a blessing in our life, and likewise will be a blessing in their life. It should be mutual, and it will be if both parties are saying, hey, I, I just want to be poured out and used, and God will be faithful. We don't have to worry about that. Amen? He will be faithful. While, and he says in verse 12, he says, speaking of Epaphras, that you may stand perfect and complete 
in all the will of God. God will be faithful. And while we complete his will and the call of God, which is frankly impossible to do without his help, right? None of us can do it without his help, but he's promised to help. He says, you just do your part. Come into my presence. Get involved in other people's lives. I'll do the rest. And if we want to continue to mount up with wings like eagles, we have to become others-minded. We have to become eternally minded. We have to become kingdom minded. Paul says these things. Look at verse 11. He says, they're my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Paul's saying, we, we collectively, me and these other men, we were kingdom minded. Epaphras, one of, your, one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand complete. Oh, may God give us more Epaphrases. Amen. And grow us that we would be more like the character we see in a man like Epaphras. That we would remind each other to be fervent in prayer. That we'd have zeal for one another. He says, I bear him witness, he has great zeal for you. Paul had that same zeal. Epaphras was, Paul was rubbing off on Epaphras too, wasn't he? You hang out with Paul for a while. You're either going to get the zeal or you're going to get out of Dodge, right? One of the two. Zeal for one another. You know how to acquire zeal for people? You know how to acquire zeal for souls? Zeal to see hurting people comforted? Verse 8. Well, well, verse 8 was one. He says that they'll come and comfort your hearts. But uh, zeal for discipleship, verse 15. Uh, how do we do this? How do we, have a, how do we acquire a zeal? Prayer, prayer, prayer. He says fervently pray. That's how we acquire a zeal. That's it. Fervent prayer comes before fervent care. We will not have a fervent care for people unless there's first a fervent prayer. But with fervent prayer will become fervent care. We will care once we've invested in prayer. God will, God will then impart that care. Don't wait till we care to pray. That will never happen. That's why Jesus said the same thing with money. But where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He goes, just start giving, then you'll start to love giving. Don't wait till I'm waiting for God to give me a love for giving. That'll never happen. I'm waiting for God to give me a love for serving. Never happen. You go and do it, and then he gives you the love for it. It's called obedience. Um, then we'll care. Like this past Sunday, it was beautiful. Even if you came in not caring so much about the persecuted church, it's after you started praying you start to care for them. God brings you into the presence of, because they're part of the body of Christ, and then all of a sudden you'll feel the toothache that before you weren't feeling. That was someone else's toothache. But then you start to feel, you intercede and you enter in. Uh, together, we're part of his body. Together, uh, we have to uh, make sure that we enter into prayer and then God will bring that desire. And, and one other point of this is the word, verse 16. That's not just prayer, but you also have to stay in the word. Now, when this epistle is read, you can't just have a Bible. It has to be read, right? When this epistle is read, not when this epistle is delivered and you put it in a shelf and it collects dust. When this epistle is Read. Has to be read. It has to be digested. The word and prayer will give us a zeal for people, well, mainly for Jesus, 
and to finish. To finish, to complete. We do these things together, though. He says, now when this epistle, verse 16, we're almost done. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and likewise read the, read the epistle from Laodicea. So, he says, make sure that it's read in the corporate body as a whole. So not only do you have to have a personal individual life, but it has to be part of a collective body. He said it has to be read in the church. We do these things together. Yes, of course we have to have a personal devotion. We have a private prayer closet. That doesn't replace praying together. As the, the whole Acts chapter 2 came when the church was in a prayer meeting. Right? Together is an important thing to God. Uh, you, you, you can't stay home. He's saying get to the church and read the word together. That's Paul's exhortation, verse 16. It's right in your Bibles. It's not made up by pastors like me trying to figure out a way to get people to come to church. It's not made up by us. It's the way God said He's like The whole Old Testament too, by the way. Six days you shall work. Seventh day was a holy convocation. God says you've got to come together because you've got to sharpen each other. You've got to encourage each other. You've got to uh, speak into each other's lives. You've got to hear each other's hurts. And so you can pray for, hey, can I pray for you? I'll be praying for you all week. How would I know that? Well, you wouldn't if we didn't connect. It's very important. He said, so read these things together. Digest them together. Make sure it's read to everyone. Make sure not only, he says, make sure all the other cities around get the same epistle and they all read it. In those fellowships, it's God's way. Jesus sent them out two by two. He said, you've got to do things together. Could have sent them out by one, but he said, no, together. You guys might know, you know one of my favorite Proverbs, African proverb. you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. But you won't just go fast going alone. You'll hit a dead end going alone. If you want to go far, go together. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. So Jesus sent them two by two. For they, if one falls, he will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. God says, I've created the church that you're going to have to be interdependent on one another. Paul's highlighting this by naming these different names. That, you know, we've come to see that this is how it works. We've, you've needed me, I've needed you. There's times when you were strong, there's times when I was strong, there's times when you had resources, I didn't have resources, all of those things. He says, but somehow we kind of continue to speak into each other to continue to go forward to finish the mission. Verse 17, and I say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received from the Lord that he is faithful. Paul, right to, he's going to, right to the last sentence, there's someone that needs to be encouraged. Hey, make sure Archippus, make sure he's built up and knows that he is called. You might have someone in your life that, that's not sure, I'm not sure if God's going to ever do it. You, gotta, you might be the person to speak in their life and say, well, did you always doubt this? No, I didn't doubt it three years ago. Then why are you doubting it now? Well, I haven't been in the Word that much in the last three years. That'll do it. Right? It's like saying, I haven't drank water in the last three days. I wonder why I don't feel quite right. You know? It's living water. But he's saying, hey, encourage this, encourage this guy to take heed to the ministry that you've got to fulfill it. God's called you to fulfill it. Remember, teaching is so you learn something. Exhortation is to tell someone, tell someone you can do this. 
That's what actually, that's what, this is Paul's closing. He said, you can do it because Christ is in you. You can finish. And then lastly, in verse 18, this salutation is by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Isn't it interesting? Uh, even in the last verse, we see a kind of a, a connection point to what we did Sunday. Paul says, after all this, you've probably forgotten, as you're reading the letter, that I'm in chains. Remember my chains. Do you, how, you see how quickly we forget things? God's like, I know that while you're reading this, you forgot I'm in chains. Remember my chains. That's Hebrews 13, 3, which we prayed on Sunday. As if you're chained with them. And lastly, he says, grace be with you. Amen. Lastly, as we stay connected in Jesus, remember it's all grace. Grace covers a multitude of sin. Grace covers a multitude of you stepped on my toes. Grace covers a multitude of somebody dropped the ball. Grace covers a multitude of why didn't I get a thank you note? Right? Grace be with you all. Amen? It keeps it all connected. That helps in marriages too. Grace. Grace that is greater than all of them, not just our sin, but just our failures. Amen? Let's close. Father, we thank you again that your word written about 2,000 years ago is just as faithful today. Lord, we can see in our own lives the finish line and get there and hear well done and good and faithful servant. But Lord, we need your help to re-breathe into us these truths and uh, these spiritual areas of, of just implanting in us that love, that zeal, that faith. And Lord, we know these things will work, but Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to apply them, to invest in our time with you, but also in our time with one another. And Lord, that we would see it multiply and we would see new believers come to faith simply because we abided in you, we abided together, and we took these things to heart. And so we thank you uh, for these salutations and these final reminders and exhortations, Lord, I pray that they truly have encouraged and strengthened each and every one of us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.